Um, so this afternoon, we're now moving on to our, our message, and we're continuing our series, uh, which is titled, uh, Jesus, I Am. Um, so we've spent time uh, looking at Jesus over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we thought about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life from John 14. Uh, and last week, uh, we looked together at Jesus as the bread of life, uh, John chapter 6. Uh, and this afternoon, we follow on from chapter 6 to the next I am in John's gospel, which we find in chapter 8 and verse 12. So one verse for us this afternoon. Uh, so let's look at this next I am statement. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and the words are going to be up on the screen as well. So we read from John's gospel, John 8 and verse 12. John says this, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's pray again. So Father, we, we recognize this is your word and we are your people. Speak to us, open our hearts and minds, help us to see what it is you have to say. We pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done as we look at this passage, this verse, and as we see how it connects to so many of our passages and verses within scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, just like we've done in previous weeks, uh, I feel compelled uh, to ask each one of us this afternoon that as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what does that mean for each one of us? What does that mean uh, for us? Uh, and as we both ask and try to answer that question, uh, understand that like so much of what Jesus says, uh, we have to look at these words from a broad view and not a narrow one. Um, to do this, we're going to spend time looking together at four areas. Uh, four areas which all find their root, their center in Jesus' words, I am the light of the world. So these four areas we're going to look at, but they all come back to this central point. And I want you this afternoon to think of these areas as like four spokes in a, in a wheel. Uh, their commonality is that they all find their center in Christ. And this afternoon, let's just begin by understanding Jesus as the light of the world, first of all, from tradition. This is the first area we're going to look at, tradition. Uh, and what I, mean by, what I mean by that is that in order that we might come to terms with what Jesus says here, he is the light of the world, it's essential we understand the particular context that Jesus was speaking from and why it is he might have said these particular words at this particular moment. Um, and so Jesus says these words, and he does so with the backdrop of what John describes as the festival in John 7, 37. So if you have your Bibles, you'll see John 7, 37, Jesus is speaking at the festival. Um, so what was this festival? Uh, what was it that was taking place that acted as a context for Jesus' particular preaching and teaching in John 7 and John 8? Well, this festival was a feast of tabernacles. It was a tradition that celebrated the time of harvest and it was a time that God's people remembered the exodus. They were set free from slavery in Egypt and so this was a moment they commemorated and recognised how good and faithful God was to them. This festival was over the course of seven days in the autumn. It took place every single year and prominent in the celebration was the symbol of both water and light. So water because the land needed water during the harvest. In the days of a dry Middle Eastern autumn, which is the opposite of, of Glasgow, uh, and light, because at this time of the year, both night and day were of equal length. So water and light were so important during this feast. 
So the Feast of Tabernacles used water in this particular way. The temple priests would gather water from the pool of Siloam. And this pool was at the kind of lower level sources of water within Jerusalem. They would collect the water, the temple priests, and then they would walk into the temple and they would pour the water onto the altar. And the city would watch this and they would celebrate this moment because for them, this was supposed to remind them that God was the great provider during harvest season. So this was a symbol of the fact that God always, always, always provides. And we do not know what was going on in the hearts of the people, but like any tradition, when done long enough, it had its potential to lose its meaning and value. And God knew of our heart here. Jesus knew that these people needed to hear a message much greater than this idea of God providing physical water during harvest. And so as the water is being carried to the altar, Jesus says these powerful words in John 7 and verses 37 to 38. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. So fascinating moment in the story of Jesus. He is effectively saying, as this physical water has been brought to the altar, you want the true and living water, people? More important than any physical water? Then come to no other source except me. Bold statement from Christ. That was why water was so important during this feast. And Jesus wanted to, to underline the absolute importance of why he was there in that particular moment. And with regards to the symbol of light used during this festival, at the end of the first day in the court of women, which was in the temple grounds, there were four giant golden lampstands and these were lit within the temple grounds. And when they were lit, there was singing, there was celebration, there was music, there was dancing. This happened for seven nights. Every single night they celebrated and sang and danced. These lampstands were alight in the court of women and they would illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. So it must have been some spectacle for anyone who lived in the city to see these giant golden lampstands every single night. In many ways, what they were doing was thanking God for the provision of day and night and how this helped them in the season of harvest. And here's a picture of what it looked like. So we see, you may be able to see here, there's four lights, four different lights within this, this court. Um, and within this, we see something of what God was trying to communicate during the Feast of Tabernacles. But take note this afternoon, uh, Jesus did not say, I am the light of the world, as these lamps were lit. He didn't say that at that particular moment. He made this statement after the Feast of Tabernacles had finished. So the next morning, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, when these lights were out. The lamps that once shone brightly on the previous night were out. He stood there in daylight. He said, I am the light of the world. There's no doubt in my mind this was intentional from Christ. Uh, he is telling his hearers that this Feast of Tabernacles, it belongs to me. It's about me. It points to me, so come to me. This is Jesus' point. Suddenly, it would have made more sense to some of those watching on. Not everyone would have got it, but some would have got it. The traditions amongst God's people find their fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus. So Jesus is the better light at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is his point. He is the light of the world. And for us, 
as we think about our own, tr our own traditions, um, how easy it is for each one of us to fall into a similar or the same kind of trap. So we have just fairly recently had Easter and the tradition trap of Easter for many of us is that we subconsciously think it's just another holiday. It's a school holiday with lots of chocolate. But Easter, it's all about Jesus. And of all the times that we should be together worshiping God, it should be Easter as we remember his death and resurrection. Amen. Amen. Just five months time. Just five months time, guys. But 20 weeks time, we're going to be celebrating something. Anyone know? Christmas. Okay. So we're going to be celebrating Christmas. And the tradition trap for many of us are man-made Christmas traditions that have nothing to do with Jesus and more often than not they compete with Jesus and the challenge for us is to make those traditions subservient to Christ to, to use these things as a means if we want as a means of worshiping Jesus but they become a means to an end and that end ultimately is our worship of Christ in our lives but Christmas again it always has to be about him just like Easter, Christmas always has to be about Jesus. As we celebrate Christmas out of a love and affection, a satisfaction, a joy in him, it all has to go towards him. All of it. Not some of it, all of it. So Easter, Christmas, and we come to the table every single week as well. We come to this table. If we love the Lord, we take this bread, we drink this cup. It's an important part of our worship to God. And there's always a danger when we do this. <clears throat> we do it because we always do it. That can be our attitude. We can come to this table and think, I'm going to do this this week because I did it last week and the previous week and the previous week. Or we do it because we carry this weird superstition in our heart that if I don't do it, then something wrong is going to happen this coming week. But as we love Jesus, as we rejoice in Jesus, as we find our satisfaction in Jesus, then the overflow of that should be a heart that comes to this table with fresh eyes and fresh vision and says to him, this is your moment, Jesus. I want to worship you in this moment. I want to give you all the glory. And I want to take this bread and drink this cup as an act of love towards you so that I might more faithfully remember and rejoice in all that you are to me and all that you have done for me. So... A challenge in Jesus' day when it came to traditions and a challenge in our day as well. So Jesus is our light this afternoon. And as our light, he ought to make sense of all that we do and why it is we do it in the Christian life. And this brings us on to the second way in which we can understand Jesus as the light of the world. So tradition number two, cosmology. Cosmology. Now, cosmology is not a word we use day to day. But it simply means this, the study of the galaxies and the universe. When we think of cosmology this afternoon, uh, we're thinking about our particular postcode within the Milky Way galaxy. So we have a universe. I think there's like, I read this last week, there's 13 trillion galaxies within the universe, which is just mental. Uh, and our galaxy is a Milky Way galaxy, okay? So we are one of 13 trillion galaxies. Um, and our particular postcode within that galaxy is the planet we live on, 
uh, the sun that we have, or sometimes have in Scotland, uh, and the moon as well. So our planet, planet Earth, the sun, and the moon. So I want us to think about that particular area within the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of 13 trillion different galaxies in the universe, supposedly. So you might ask this afternoon, what's going on here, Mark? We've moved from Old Testament tradition to space. Like, what, what's happening here? Uh, well, each of the I am statements is a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. It's applied to an object, which is not a literal description of what Jesus is. So Jesus is not literally bread, and he is not literally light, but he is like these in some way. And so understanding light better will help us understand Jesus better. So this afternoon, I stand here and I speak to you, and I do so with the ability to see every single one of you. So I'm looking out and I can see you all. Now, primarily the reason for that is not because of these lights. So these lights are very, very bright. The reason I can see you is because there's this big ball of, of burning gas. 94 million miles away, this, this ball of gas is burning. And we can understand better the statement of Jesus, I am the light of the world, when we understand better that ball, the sun. And the undeniable blessing and necessity the sun is to each one of us every single day. So when it comes to the world we live in, the sun is everything to us. It never stops giving light. It always provides the earth with heat. It ensures that plants grow through photosynthesis. It means that animals can then eat those plants and live. And it means that we can then go to Denison Barbecue and eat those animals that eat those plants. And we can then live. Amen. So, obvious statement for us this afternoon. Without the sun, none of us can have life. Physical life. And there was a study done recently by scientists, and they asked the question, what would happen to our planet? What would happen to us if the sun was no longer there? If the sun suddenly just went out like that? It's an interesting question. It sounds like the plot for a Christopher Nolan film. But what would actually happen? What would take place? Uh, when I looked at this during the week, it was, fascin it was a fascinating read. And when you see what would happen, it's pretty scary when you look at it. And it really underlines how important the sun is. So our sun goes out, let's pretend our sun goes out. What follows on from that? Well, straight away, nothing. Nothing would happen. It, would take eight and, it takes eight and a half minutes for the sun's rays to reach the earth. So immediately we would not see any noticeable difference. But after about nine minutes, we would find ourselves in complete darkness. And if it was already dark on our side of the world, we would immediately notice the moon going out. Because we only see the moon as it reflects light from the sun. Now, Earth retains heat fairly well, but not for long. And after a week, the global temperature would drop to zero irrespective of the season that we were in. And the problem we would have after one week is that beyond that initial week, the temperature would keep dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. And within one year, we would be sitting at minus 73 degrees Celsius. The top layer of the ocean would freeze over. We would basically be living in the opening scene of the Empire Strikes Back. And beyond that year, it would become impossible for any humans to survive on planet Earth. Now, we might become inventive in what we eat and how we get vitamin D, 
that it would only be a matter of time, probably two to three years before we all die. Now, take this picture, this timeline, and think of it not as his son and its relationship with the earth, but Jesus and his relationship with you and me. Because we need Jesus in a spiritual sense as much as we need the son in a physical sense. And just like the son, if Christ was to suddenly depart from our lives, it might not be observable to us straight away, but we would spiritually spiral towards a place of complete and utter despair, despondency, destitution, death. Without Jesus in our lives, we have nothing. We are nothing. The Bible actually says that we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And with Jesus in our lives, we have everything because he is our everything. We are alive in him. We are alive through him. And we are alive for him because he is our light. He is the light of the world. He is our light and salvation, Psalm 27. So I hope we see the connection here this afternoon. The sun as our physical light means we have life and Jesus as our spiritual light also means we have life. And it's for all these reasons that Matthew writes this of Jesus in Matthew 4.15. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah and he says this, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's a picture of the sun. The spiritual light of Christ shines into our lives and this afternoon, I invite you, as we've done this before with a number of different passages, I invite you to take a moment to insert your name into these words of Isaiah. So for myself, as I look at this passage, Mark, who lived in darkness, Mark saw a great light. His name is Jesus. For Mark, who is living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has now dawned. His name is Jesus. I invite you to do the same this afternoon. Take a moment, put your name in that passage and let that gospel reality become more and more apparent in your heart and in your mind. And to add to this, I love what C.S. Lewis says about the connection between the physical reality and the blessing of the Son and the spiritual reality and blessing of Christ. He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the Son has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. With the sun in our lives, it's not just that we have life, but we also see life as it really is, day after day. We have proper perspective. And with Jesus in our lives, he doesn't just give us life. That would be good enough. He also gives us the right perspective on ourselves, on this world, on him, on all that might happen in our lives. And this afternoon, I could open the photo app on my phone I could click in the search box and I could type in sunset and I could honestly show you about 500 different photos of sunsets. Or I could give you a tour of my house and there's pictures in my house that highlight a number of different sunsets that were memorable for Pauline and I. The sun glistening through the trees, the sun reflecting on the water or sitting between mountains. My point is that with the sun, we have beauty. Sunshine is beautiful. Sunrises are beautiful. Sunsets are beautiful. Uh, and there's something about light touching nature which more spectacularly illuminates God's creation and the beauty of God's creation. And in the same way, if Jesus is the light of the world and he is your light 
and he brings an all-consuming beauty into your life, then there is nothing more important than that. As Jesus is at work, you will experience beauty. Beauty in the fact that you have been saved. Beauty in the fact that you have been changed. Beauty in the fact that you can now live this life with a proper perspective. To have Jesus is to have beauty. And you'll see this beauty in the God that he is and in the world that he's made. And so it's not enough for you and I just to know the truth about God. We have to experience him as well. And that's going to look different for each one of us. But an important part of the Christian life is seeing his beauty that leads to experience. And I wonder if your life could be described like the words of a psalmist. David, he writes this in Psalm 27, 4. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. When was the last time you gazed? You gazed on the beauty of the Lord and you sought him in his temple. Such an important thing uh, for us to do because it's, it's more than just an intellectual understanding of God in our lives. It's so important that we experience him day after day. David had passion. And David had passion because he saw. He wanted more and more as well. He tasted and saw that the Lord is good, what we looked at last week. And he wants more and more of us in his life. So just as the dawning of a sun brings life, brings truth, brings beauty. Jesus, as the light of the world, as our light, as he has dawned in each one of us, he brings life, he brings truth, and he brings beauty. What a saviour. What a saviour. So we understand Jesus as the light of the world from tradition, from cosmology, number two, and number three, from theology. And when we speak of theology, and in particular Jesus as the light of the world from a theological perspective, what we mean by that is the undeniable connection between God and light within our Bibles. And it's really important we do this as a church, because as part of our membership covenant, we are a people who love the Word of God. We love God's Word, and we love God's Word because it is God's Word. It's not our own Word. It's not someone else's Word. It's His Word. Nothing of what we understand about God can come from any other source except from His Word, the Bible. Scripture is our final authority. So to understand God as light, we have to understand what the Bible says about God as light. And for us to come to terms with this theological reality of God and his son Jesus as the light of the world, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. Because in Genesis 1, what we discover is a fascinating connection between God and the light that he has made. The light that he is. First word that we hear God speaking is this. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. Let there be light. It's fascinating. God says, the first thing that God says is let there be light from scripture and the light of God shines onto his creation both in a physical and a spiritual sense but by the time we reach Genesis chapter 3 the spiritual light that once existed between God and humanity leads to results in complete darkness and in Genesis 3 the first man and woman sin they turn their back on God they say effectively thanks but no thanks and in their shame as they sin against God, we read in verse 8 of chapter 3, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. That is, they chose darkness. They chose darkness 
over and above light. This is a precise moment that humanity walked away from God and walked away from his light. And to walk away from God in his light is to walk right into darkness. There's no middle ground. There's no dusk when it comes to spiritual darkness and spiritual light. We walk from light into darkness when we sin. And we hide. We hide. It's not just that we hide in darkness. A brutal reality is that we are, by definition, darkness. And if that's something you struggle with, if you struggle with this idea that we are darkness, then let me take you to Colossians 1 and verses 9 to 13. The Apostle Paul says this. Uh, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So we receive the light. And verse 13 is key. He has, re he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So you are darkness, and when you repented of your sins, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are rescued by him from darkness and you are transferred into light. And in Christ, you are now light. Praise God. Tim Keller unpacks the theological implications of darkness for the world and for our lives. So he says this. He asks a question, first of all, he says, how is the world dark? In the Bible, the word darkness refers to both evil and ignorance. It means first that the world is filled with evil and untold suffering. The other way our world is in the dark is that no one knows enough to cure the evil and suffering in it. And that's maybe something you're not aware of this afternoon. It's not just that you and I are in the dark uh, and we are darkness apart from Christ. We also have no clue how to get out of the darkness. So we might be in the dark, we might be darkness, we are. And yet without Christ, we have no idea to escape that, to remove ourselves from that. So when John tells us in 1 John 1 and verse 5, this is a message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. We know, I hope we can know that we have a rescuer to turn to. He is the one who meets us in the darkness. He is light, but he goes into the darkness. He is not darkness, but he steps in. And he is the one who rescues us <clears throat> from that darkness. <coughs> he is the one who will take us from that darkness and into the light. He's the only one who can do it. We cannot do it ourselves. And again, let me take you to John this morning, this afternoon, sorry. In the first chapter of John's gospel, John 1, speaking of Jesus, he says this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So, I hope we get this. Theologically, our God is light, and it does not matter how dark this world gets, it will never, ever overcome the light of our Lord and the power of our Savior. Amen. He is the light of the world. Nothing can ever defeat him. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, means that Jesus is victorious. And if Jesus is victorious, then we have a victory in him. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. And this brings us on to the final area I want us to think about. As we think about Jesus as the light of the world. Number four, life. Life. What are the, a bit of steam here, sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. 
uh, what are the implications for your life, for my life, and for our lives today as we think about Jesus as the light of a world? Let's take a moment to go back to what Jesus says. John 8, 12. I am the light of a world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the implication is straightforward for us this afternoon. To follow Jesus is to have his light. And to have his light means that we will never walk in darkness. That's the implication. I hope we all understand that. And again, following on from 1 John 1 and verses 6 to 7, we read this. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the implication for Jesus as the light of, as the, light of the world for our lives is relationship with God and our walking in his ways. So if Jesus is the light of the world for our lives, then we will have a relationship with him. We will walk in his ways. We will go from a place of being in rebellion to God and a rejection of his ways, and we will move to that place of grace and transformation. And it's so important we understand this this afternoon. We have to see that the connection between the inward work of God and the outward evidence of what God has done in our lives. So have a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5. In verses 14 to 16, it's fascinating for us. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's quite incredible, quite incredible. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says in Matthew's gospel, you are the light of the world. So as he says, I am the light of the world, there's a responsibility for us to be the light of the world. And ultimately, it's not really a responsibility. In one sense, it's not. And that it's Christ who does it. And it's what a challenge for us. Does your life look more like light? Or does your life more resemble darkness? Does your life look more like light or does it more resemble darkness? Let your light shine before others. That's a call for you and I to shine Jesus every single day. Shining, 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 shining. If I'm being really honest this afternoon, within the life of this church, we need to shine more. We need to shine more brightly. Letting go of unforgiveness, letting go of bitterness, letting go of slander, letting go of gossip, letting go of a lack of concern and care for others within the life of the church, letting go of selfishness, letting go of pride, getting all of that stuff and putting it in that junk drawer with a label in the front that says darkness and closing it shut. And Jesus will deal with that. We don't need to worry about that. He's the one who will deal with that. And with Jesus then as our light, shining forgiveness, shining love, shining encouragement, shining service, shining concern and care for others within the life of the church, shining generosity, shining humility, as children of light, living in the light for the glory of God, 
and the good of each one of us. What a challenge, but what a tremendous opportunity and what a joy that would be if we more and more do this. Make no mistake, we are doing this. My challenge to us is that we do it more and more. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. For you are once darkness, but now you are light in, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said to get up sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. <clears throat> you know, it'd be very easy for us uh, to go through this sermon series, to look at all these different I am statements and say something to the effect of this. That's interesting. This is who Jesus is. And then the next week, we say the same, this is who Christ is, this is who Jesus is, and just do that week by week. But I wonder this afternoon if we realise that if this is who Jesus is, then this is who we are as well. Uh, or this is who we ought to be as well. The only way others will see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is if we point them to the fact that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And the only way that others will see Jesus as the bread of life is if we are offering the bread that deep down they long for in their hearts, even if they have no idea that that's true and right at that particular moment. And the only way that people will see Jesus as the light of the world is if we are light to those who are lost and far from him. So let this be our prayer this afternoon. God, let me see your light so that I can then be a light. God, as I see your light, let me be a light to those who are in darkness. Think of yourself as a moon. Uh, the moon reflects the sun rays onto the earth. So may you reflect Jesus onto this lost world, this dark world. As we come to worship this afternoon, uh, we just want to create space uh, to respond now uh, and we do so as I've mentioned already we do so by coming to the table um, as we take this bread as we drink this cup what are we saying we're saying the Lord is my light and my salvation Jesus you died for me Jesus you rescued me Jesus you have transformed me and so we can we can remember these powerful words that it was on a night in which Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you and in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And incredibly, as we take this bread, as we drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And the invitation is for all of us who love the Lord. If Jesus is your savior today, then the invitation is to come to this table, to take this bread, to drink this cup. And for anyone this afternoon who's maybe unsure, still on a journey, this is not an opportunity for you to come to the table. This is an opportunity for you to pray and ask that God would continue to work in your life and that God would reveal more and more of who he is. In a moment, we're going to sing and then afterwards we're going to have tea and coffee together. Um, but we also, so important for us is that we have opportunity to respond. So if you would like to receive prayer today, um, during a time of fellowship, tea and coffee, 
We can pray here. We can pray in one of the rooms next door. You might need prayer for a situation you find yourself in the middle of. You might find yourself in the midst of something really difficult, no sense of what to do or what way is forward, and you would like prayer for that. And then do speak to myself or to TJ or to someone you know who loves the Lord, and we would pray for you. Um, maybe you need prayer for healing. Maybe you have an illness or a pain. We believe in the God who can heal, who does heal. And we would ask that, that God would do that in Jesus' name. Perhaps you want to give your life to the Lord this afternoon. Maybe you have yet to do that and you would like to put your faith and trust in him. Then come to us, speak to us. It would be a joy to be able to lead you to the Lord as you make a decision to say, I'm going from darkness and I'm going to go from that darkness and step into light all because of the grace and mercy of Jesus. So in all of these ways, uh, we can respond. We're going to sing, we're going to come to the table, we're going to have tea and coffee, and we're going to pray, if you feel led to pray. So let's pray together before we do all these things, and let's ask that God would take us time and use it. So Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, that your light has shone out of the darkness, and has shone into our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that reality and we rejoice in the fact that, that we are now children of light, no longer of darkness. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit and in your grace, you would take um, our lives and that you would use us this week. Help us to be obedient servants. We know, Lord, that we all have varied in, in different weeks and we ask that whatever happens, whatever we have planned, whatever might come as a surprise, Lord, that you would work in and through us and that we would be Jesus to those who don't know you. So thank you for your word and we thank you for this incredible truth that you are light. And we ask that you bless us now as we respond in these various ways. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. Thanks, guys.